are concluding our sermon series, Win in Romans, a sermon series we've been in in the book of Romans. And we're doing it, I mean, in the best possible way that we can. I mean, look at this room. I mean, literally packed the house out. Um, if you were here with us last Christmas, this is what it looked like. We were standing in the kitchen. There's people outside. And it just, it, it, it's really fun to be in here as we anticipate our renovated space, a space that we can call our new home, a space that we can be even more proud to invite people into, that we can invite them into our church family, a space that we're proud of or even more proud of. And it made me think of, you know, as we anticipate this space, is have you been praying for who you're going to invite on October 8th? Because if you're not familiar, I don't know how you wouldn't know at this point, but on October 8th, we are going to be celebrating, there it is, our 75th anniversary. 75 years this church has been in this community, has been serving the people that live around here and, um, and just on the outskirts, and for 75 years... We have been a faithful body of Christ. And that's something to celebrate. Because, and here's why that's so significant, because 75 is the average year, the average date that a modern church dies. 75 years of life before a church turns in and closes its door. And so we are looking back and celebrating the 75 years that we've been here, but we are anticipating the 75 more years that are to come and the years that God is going to be with us after that. So it's not just a renovated space. It's not just uh, 75 years that we're celebrating. Is we are shaping who are we going to be. Because the church, like every community that exists, is made up of rules and structures and languages and traditions and standards that make it that community. And the church is no different. The only difference that we have as a church is we're not looking to a CEO to give us that vision or some kind of governing body. We look to Jesus to give us the vision of what his body looks like in today's world. And he gives us a a fairly clear vision. John chapter 13, verse 34. Just as I have loved you, Jesus says, you are to love one another. You know, every community that exists in the world embodies some form of love, right? That's what makes it a community. If it's your neighborhood street, if it's your, um, your office space, if it's some nonprofit that you support, every community is made up of some form of love. The difference about the church, it is only the church that has been called and empowered to love one another with the love of Jesus Christ. A self-emptying form of love that was perfectly displayed for us when Jesus gave his life on the cross. It was perfectly displayed for us in examples like last week. We talked about a church in Antioch, 300 miles away from the hub of the early Christian church in Jerusalem. And when a famine hit, instead of turning inward and solely looking after themselves, this church of Antioch raised money to support Other fellow Christians, they never met, they never would meet, to a city and a culture that was nothing like their own, and they completely broke and shattered all standards of of the ancient world. Never before, before we saw in that church, has a one culture sacrificed themselves to benefit a culture not like theirs. 
Why? Because of this one another, this love for one another. But we have to go deeper. If we want to understand what it means to love one another well, then we have to dive a little bit deeper. And in fact, that is the phrase that we're going to be talking about this morning, one another. You see, if you're new here, if you're visiting, we have been walking through the book of Romans. But instead of looking at it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we're looking at it theme by theme, idea by idea. And the closing idea that Paul has to the ancient church in Rome is one another. You have to come together at this time. So we need to understand, why does that matter to me? What does that look like in today's context? And I think it's a perfect idea for us to close on as we anticipate the next 75 years of this church. Turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be in Romans chapter 15, and we're going to be looking primarily at this key concept right here. Uh, Sasha, will you flip that over for me? Romans chapter 15, verse 7 is going to be our main verse this morning. And it says this, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. What could that possibly mean? Does that mean we just need to have a really good greeting ministry? Like we just need to have firm handshakes and make eye contact and just welcome people really well. That's what it means to be a Christian in today's world. Or does it mean like whenever I was in college, I was a junior in college, I was heading to one of my classes. And in the hallway to my class, I saw a girl that I knew from high school. Now, she was a couple years younger than me because we were in theater together. I was there going to class. She was there on a tour with some other students and their parents, seeing if they were going to go to school there that fall. So I recognized her. We made small talk. Hey, how are you? How's school? How's it going? Man, I'd love to see you here this fall. All that good stuff. Well, I had to get to class. So I said, hey, great to see you. I got to go. She, right before I left, she said, hey, have you met my mom? Now... I thought I had met her mom, right? Some kind of passing. I knew I knew her. Maybe in high school we crossed paths. And I didn't want that awkward moment of like, no, I never met you. And she's like, wow, I got you like that really good birthday gift. And how dare you forget? So I lied. Just straight up lied and said, yeah, yeah, I know your mom. And I hugged her. Right when I broke away from that hug, my friend, I kid you not, looked at me and said, well, she's here. I had hugged a complete stranger. I can't make this stuff up. And I said, oh, I know. I'm just really friendly. And I just started hugging everybody in that crowd. Is that what Paul means when he says we need to be more welcoming? That we need to welcome one another? I hope not because I want nothing to do with that again. So a good place to start, a good place to start is understanding this word welcome. Now, this is a key cornerstone verse for us to understand all of the places Paul is going to say one another. So if we can understand this, we can understand, in essence, all of them. So we're going to spend time camping out here. And the first place we have to camp out is understanding what does Paul mean when he says to welcome. It's a Greek word, proslambano. Everybody say proslambano. You probably said it wrong because I probably said it wrong. It's Greek to me, so we don't know really what it is. But if you have a different Bible translation, yours probably says something different. Mine says welcome. Yours may say to receive one another. Who says receive? 
Okay, and your others may say to accept one another. Everybody raise your hand if yours says accept one another. Okay, you have my preference of accept. The proper rendering here in our context is, Sasha, hit me, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Now, here's why this matters. And we're going to dive into why. Well, I'll tell you why it matters at the end of my sermon. Why is this the proper rendering? Why? How do we know that this is the right way that we should be thinking about it in our context? And that is because of that word, context. Here at the Vero Beach Church of Christ, we believe in the Bible, that the Bible has power in today's world, that it has authority over us, that we need to be good students of that Bible, that it really does have power if and only if we are good students of the word. And so we spend extra time looking at the context, trying to understand the Bible for what the Bible says and making a strong bridge to today, which is why today is going to be an old-fashioned Bible study. We're going to break down this word, we're going to look at the context, and then we're going to land the plane on why it matters for us today. So let's just look at this verse by itself. Look at the context of the verse. Therefore, accept one another as. So now we have a comparison happening here. So we are to accept by the standard that was given to us. Who is on the other side of that? But Jesus. We are to accept each other as Christ has accepted us. So how has Christ accepted us is the next question. Well, Romans chapter 1 through 11 has answered that for us. If you haven't been with us through this series, go back, spend some time in Romans 1 through 11. Let me give you one example here, Sasha. Can you click that for me? Let me give you one example here in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have been made right because of our faith. We have peace with God. Everybody say peace with God. Peace with God. Isn't that what we want? We want peace in our life. We want peace with our creator. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul makes it clear in the first half of this book, we have been accepted by Christ because we have been redeemed by his death. Meaning, there is nothing that we have done to earn that gift. It is a gift that has been freely given. We may not have even asked for it, and it was given to us. The grace of salvation being an option in our life. So, if I'm going to extend grace to somebody or accept them, I have to do it in the same manner as Jesus. Extending, accepting people, even if they're not asking for it. To invite them in to relationship. Okay, let's take this another layer and let's look at the context of Romans chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse 7. I'm not going to put it up here on the screen for you. But we're going to do seven and we're going to read a little bit more. Paul is going to do something very interesting here. He's basically going to say, if you know your Bible, you should know this already. But let me remind you. All right. So here's what here we go. Romans 15, starting in verse seven. Therefore, welcome one another. Sorry, accept one another as Christ has accepted you for the glory of God. Verse eight. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. 
and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. What is happening here? Basically, Paul is establishing two groups. You have the circumcised, otherwise known as the Jews. You have the uncircumcised, otherwise known as the Gentiles. That is important. We're going to come back to that. But to start off his argument, Paul says this. He says, let's look back at our Bible at all the places where we've talked about the Gentiles. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you amongst the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, that's Jesus, will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles have hope. Hopefully the emphasis is hard to miss here. That at least in four different instances, Paul brings up the Old Testament to say, to confirm God's design for salvation was to bring non-Jewish people into his community. Now you're thinking, I have no idea why that matters for me today. (laughs) Why does non-Jewish people coming into the faith matter for me? matters primarily because that's you. I imagine primarily, I'm just going to assume, most people in here do not come from a Jewish heritage. But you have been grafted in. Now, before we get into that, let's talk about the biggest struggle. Because remember, we're trying to understand this text in its context. This was the biggest struggle for the early church. This tension between Jews and Gentiles, between People of God and the people on the outside of God's chosen people. And it's not surprising that there's tension between them. Why? Because for thousands of years, before Jesus, God has set the Jewish people apart from the rest of the nations. He says, you have to be different in the way you talk, in the way you eat, in the way you have customs and practices, in the way you dress. Everything has to set you apart from the rest of the nations. So what happens is good Jews set themselves apart. But what happens whenever you ostracize yourself is that you become prideful in your identity. You become haughty. You create disgust for everybody who doesn't fit into this category. Now, this is not just Christians that are observing, like, how dare you treat us this way? For example, a uh, Roman historian, Tactus, observed the Jews. Not Christian, just a historian. A Roman historian said this about Jews. They regard the rest of mankind with all the hatred of enemies. Since they believed the nations were unacceptable to God, then the nations were also unacceptable to them. And then Paul comes onto the scene and says, because of Jesus, something else is here. So there is another option available, right? You, these wild olive branches have now been grafted in. Now, hit that for me. You may not be an olive farmer. Is anybody here an olive tree farmer? Done that before? Okay, I didn't think so. So this grafted in language might not make sense to you, but it's actually very symbolic. So what would happen is you would take an old, mature olive tree. Not dead, still produces, but it's mature. It's stable. 
And you would cut away all of the bad branches that aren't producing. You'd burn those, get rid of them. And then you would take a brand new olive sprout. One that has life, one that has potential, one that has opportunity, has a lot of energy. You would take that little sapling, you'd go to the mature olive tree, you would cut it, you would line the fibers up just right, and you would tie it together. So that this little sprout has the maturity of the olive tree, and new growth is able to happen. And Paul says that God, faithfulness in God operates now the same way. That you have this Jewish society that God has set apart that's matured over thousands of years. But now we are grafting in these new sprouts because that is the only way that this thing reaches its full potential. Paul says this in all of his letters that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is only one in Jesus Christ. There is a new tree that is now being born. So the disciples in Rome, in Rome are being called in Romans 15, 7, going back to our main verse, to accept one another as fellow members of the covenant community. That makes a little more sense now, doesn't it? It's like, okay, to accept one another means to these two separate groups have to now come together and find unity under Jesus. Let's do one more layer here. One more layer of context, and then we'll land the plane to why this matters for us today. Because... Romans chapter 15 is just a response to something that's happening in Romans chapter 14, the chapter before. We don't have to go very far. Everybody turn to Romans chapter 14. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. We're just going to read the first couple of verses here. And that new things are going to be introduced to you. Don't freak out. It all connects. All right. So Paul says this, starting in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, accept him. It's the same word. Prosplamino. Accept him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he can eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has accepted him. All right, we're going to stop right there because new characters are being introduced here. We now have those weak in the faith. We have those strong in the faith. Hayden, this is already too much. Calm down. The good news is we're talking about the same people, Jews and Gentiles. Remember, that is the hot button. Sasha, click that over. Whenever we look at this weak in the faith and strong in the faith, Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles. So what's happening here? What's happening is Jews would go to the marketplace and they would want to buy some meat. As you would, you're hungry, you want to eat. Wow, my voice really got, you want to eat. There we go. You want to eat and you're looking at your options and you don't know how that meat got to the market because... Jews sacrificed meat in their temple, but so did pagans. Pagans sacrificed animals to pagan gods. They would take that meat and they would sell it in the market. And so when a Jew comes and is looking at meat, he can't know which ones have been sacrificed to God, which ones have been sacrificed to pagans. So to have nothing to do with it, they will only eat vegetables. Now Paul calls them weak in the faith. Because you have these Gentiles coming in that say, I don't have any of those customs or those standards. That, those laws weren't on me. I'm here because of Jesus. I'm not here because of the Jewish faith. I'm here because of Jesus. And you can see the tension. Two groups 
Some of them coming from a history, some of them coming in brand new, and they're clashing over what does faith in Jesus look like for us today. Does that sound familiar? Of two cultures coming together, old and new, traditional and not, coming together and saying, we have to find a new unity. Here's why I'm bringing this up. It's because Paul does not say this is a gray area. Romans chapter 14, verse 14, he says, essentially, I have determined that anything is open to eat. Which is why he calls Jews, the ones who are like, ah, just eat vegetables, he calls them weak in the faith. He says, your traditions are not the thing that's saving you. There is a right and wrong answer. You can eat whatever you want. You can hold on to those traditions, but stop holding other people to the standard that you have set for yourself. And equally, all those who are free in Jesus say, stop criticizing and being judgmental of the people who hold on to traditions for their faith. There has to be a balance between your differences. Paul says there is a right and the wrong answer here. But just because you are right does not mean it trumps the unity you're supposed to find in Jesus. That's why I think we have to adopt this language of acceptance. Because if all of us can learn to accept despite our differences, then we will be a stronger body of Christ. And all of us have learned what it means to not be accepted. If you were a high school student and you were rejected by your peers, you know what it feels like to be ostracized and lonely. If you were an African-American in the South and you were not accepted as a fellow human being or a citizen, they were segregated and oppressed. And all of us at some level, in some circumstance, have felt like we were not accepted where we were. We all have felt the sting of being ostracized in some way. But whenever you accept another human being, not just as your equal, but as a fellow family member, as a fellow heir to the life, to, as a needed body of Christ, then you are now forced to treat that person as something better, as something different. Or as Jesus says, to love them in the way that I have loved you. I once heard this explained to me through a tire, a bicycle tire. Now he said, imagine a tire. You don't have to do that because I have a tire here for you to imagine. But he said, imagine that the rubber on the outside of the tire is the world. That's the world that doesn't know God that's out here. And then imagine that the center of the tire, this hub right here, is God. A relationship with God. And all of the spokes, all of these lines that connect the world to God are us. These are believers of God, Christians. Now he says, what you notice here is that the further you are out into the world, the further away these spokes are from each other. And then the closer you move towards the center, towards God, simultaneously they come closer together. And here's the point. He said there's a lot of Christians in the world today who say, I'm all for God. I've dedicated my life to him. But... Those Christians over there, I don't know about them. Or that Christian on the end of my row right now, I don't know if I can really associate myself. They're pretty different than me and kind of not, you know, bring down my cool level and they annoy me and they believe some radical things. And you know what? I'll just stick with God and let these people just be their own thing. 
And hopefully what this title is showing you, hopefully what Paul has been showing you, is that if you are further away from other believers, then you might be a lot further from God than you think you are. And that's why we have to learn to accept one another, to invite each other in despite our differences. So why does this matter? Why does this matter? What does this look like to the Vero Beach Church of Christ? Let me read one more verse to you. And then we'll start closing this out with our application. Let's read the entirety starting at Romans chapter 15. And let's work our way to verse 7. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. To build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who have reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, therefore, accept one another as Christ has accepted you for the glory of God. You see, whenever we accept one another, our differences don't become reasons for division. They become opportunities for service and sacrifice. When we truly welcome fellow citizens, each other into community, it's not our differences that drive us apart. It's our unity in Jesus that should drive us together. We, the church, have to be different than whatever the world is offering. And what that looks like is we embrace our differences. Like those in Rome, Paul doesn't say, no, 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 let's forget about all of our differences. He says, live with your differences. Your differences are what make you unique. Like a stained glass window made of a bunch of colors, it's only beautiful whenever all those different colors are placed together. It's an image of our God by seeing the diversity of his creation. And so embrace our differences, our different backgrounds, our different experiences, our different income levels, our different interests, the different things that we believe in, our different opinions. In fact, let's do an exercise, okay? I've been talking a long time. Let's just embrace our differences for a second. I'm going to ask you just to stand up where you're at, okay? Just stand up, and when you stand up, I want you to look around. Everybody's like, no, 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 stand up now. Don't stand up now. Sorry. I'll tell you when to stand up. Sorry, not clear instructions. <laughs> Got to give clear instructions. But if you were born after the year 1975, stand up. After the year 1975, stand up. Look around. Look around. We are obviously different ages here, okay? We knew that. We'd see all the grades. Sit down, okay. If you were raised in a single-parent household, please stand up. A single-parent household. I'm standing. I'm with you. We got some. Okay. We cannot expect us to operate differently, or we can't expect us to operate differently. You can sit down. Thank you. If you were, or if you are, not if you were, if you are afraid of heights, please stand up. I'm going to stand up here. Okay, we are all afraid of different things. You can sit down. 
If you were not born in Florida, please stand up. You were not born in Florida. Yeah, Floridians. In the bar town. <laughs> yeah, okay, look at the differences. Look at all the different backgrounds and standards that we hold in this room. Couple more. If you consider yourself an extrovert, stand up. Extrovert. You get your energy by being around people. You love people. Okay, introverts, you're welcome. Yeah, now you know who to avoid. <laughs> We are made up different. We operate in the world differently. Last one. If you think LeBron James is a better basketball player than Michael Jordan, stand up. <laughs> yeah. That's how we change a culture. Social, <laughs> social pressure. We come, we come with different sensibilities to, the, to living a Christian life. Different ways that we operate in our faith. When it comes to certain issues, some of us lean towards freedom. I have freedom in Christ. Other of us, others of us lean towards restraint. You need to hold back. You need to discipline yourself. Some of us have different ideas on how to raise kids. Darian and I are going to raise our kids different than the Wileys are going to raise theirs. They're going to raise theirs different than the Deans. And they're going to raise their difference than the Lamasters and every other baby that comes along the way. We're going to raise our children different than each other. Then you raise your children because it's a different world. We might have different ideas about media, what you should consume, what you shouldn't consume, how much you should be involved in it, how much you should separate yourself from it. We're going to have different ideas of politics, who you should vote for, or if, you know, if Republican, Democrat, which in the Republican, which, what about local government? We're going to have differences, issues in the church. What kind of music? How do, you, how do you conduct yourself? How do you dress? you dress your best or do you dress more casual? Right? How much do you tie? 10%, 15%, 20%, nothing. I don't know. But we're different. And those and many other differences, they exist. We embrace them. We acknowledge them. We don't hide from them, but we ask ourselves a question. And this is what I want you to walk away with right here. Whenever you recognize your differences, Sasha, will you click that for me? I want you to ask yourself, are the differences between me and another Christian causing me to judge that person in such a way that I am, whether consciously or unconsciously, whether directly or indirectly, treating that person with indifference, neglect, or maybe even contempt? Church, the reality is, is that there are so many differences among us, and that should not discourage us. It should encourage us that we can gather a room together with people who are wildly different from each other and we could find unity in Jesus. And so as we are navigating, what are we going to be for the next 75 years? Who are we going to be? I think Paul's words at the end of Romans are so applicable to today. In a world that is trying to divide you, it's trying to make you feel like you are like nobody else out there and you should separate yourself from people who aren't like you. Jesus says to the church, I need you, despite all of your differences, to come together, to find unity, to not squash those differences, to not hide from those differences, but to embrace them and to come together anyways. 75 years. The majority of people in this room, you won't be here for the next 75, the whole time. The young people, you will. People my age, maybe. We are the future of that church. This church but maybe, or maybe this church, but definitely the church at large.
So we have to figure out what does it mean to graft together and find unity in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for this time that we could gather as a, as a different, as a body that's made of variation, variety. Some things are absolutely radical that we believe separate on. Some of them are just subtle differences. But God, despite, despite those differences, God, help us not hide from them. Help us not squash them or extinguish them. God, help us not be divided by the things that make us different, but united in the one thing that brings us together, and that is Jesus. That is why we are here. And from the very beginning of the church, there were Jews, there were Gentiles, they saw all the differences, and Paul said, you have the most unifying thing in common. Use that. Focus on that. Focus on your one anotherness in Jesus. And so, Father, as we are navigating the next 75 years, whatever it looks like, help our culture be focused on Jesus. The standards and the rules that we live by, how we communicate, how we fellowship, how we build community, may it be focused on Jesus. So, Father, I pray that somebody in this room right now who feels lonely, who feels ostracized, who feels like they are ones on an island, help them, help us see them, help them be seen. Help us find somebody in this room that we're nothing like and embrace them in a hug, in a conversation, in something so we can love each other well. Father, we believe in the power of the local church, but we will only be as strong as our strength is found in you. Father, that works independently. It works as a community. Help us be faithful to you. We say this prayer in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.